Forbes Books presents Sustainable Leadership and Disruptive Growth with David Radlow. Transformation for a new and better world. Here's David. Joining me this week is Ben Carson Jr. Ben is the co-founder and partner of Fulcrum Funds, one of the few minority-owned private investment firms in the country. And he's also the co-founder and partner of Enterprise Partners, a leading lower middle market private equity firm with expertise in minority business investment. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here. Hey, my pleasure, David. Thank you for having me. You and your wife, Merlin, have had blockbuster growth with multiple companies. And last summer, you launched Fulcrum Funds with the goal of creating generational wealth in minority communities. Can you tell us more about the work you're doing and what was the inspiration behind the fund? Uh, great question, Dave. And, you know, we, we've been running our companies now for 15 years or so. And uh, we actually have two separate businesses, my wife and I. Uh, she runs a healthcare IT business um, that focuses on changes in population health and making sure that data and analytics can be brought to the forefront as we address many of the challenges uh, associated with disparities and also with disease registries and otherwise. And uh, myself, I run a private equity group uh, called Enterprise Partners um, that have been run for the last about eight years now. And uh, we have invested in minority businesses for the past several uh, cycles, actually. Uh, every time we think we're going to do something different, uh, we keep getting pulled back in. And a lot of that is driven by, uh, you know, passion for doing things where we can be socially entrepreneurial, um, so we can generate alpha as well as impact. And when 2020 hit, which was obviously a black swan of a year, we looked at the landscape and thought it might be interesting to set up a formal fund structure that intentionally invested in the creation of generational wealth to address many of the things that I think people are familiar with from 2020. Um, a lot of the social injustices, racial disparities that we saw become very apparent as COVID ravaged the country and the globe. So our fund was stood up um, at the direction of a couple different groups that thought it would be interesting to invest more capital into underserved markets. Uh, those being a partnership with Clearinghouse CDFI, which is one of the largest for-profit CDFIs in the country, as well as the Minority Wealth Commission and uh, several other associations that focus on ethnic issues. And we were able to, uh, to establish the fund as a $250 million vehicle to intentionally invest in minority businesses to create generational wealth and benefit the community. So uh, the impetus was a need, um, an unaddressed need typically in the capital markets where there's not enough capital being directed to many of these underserved areas. And in 2020, the capital markets for the first time since we've been investing said we're interested in this. We'll actually put money into these things. So uh, we were excited to be one of the first groups to establish that type of vehicle. And uh, so good so far, we're actually coming up to our first close uh, next month. For those that aren't accustomed to hearing about non-organic and they're used to organic growth in companies, I hope you don't mind a teaching lesson first on how a portfolio BCPE family office is structured and run. You're an investment banker by trade in VC, correct? Investment banker for a couple years and then private equity, yes. The focus of portfolio companies economically is paying for costs of running companies usually around more or less 2% and then 20% carried investment. It's generally a 50% more or less borrowed from debt to acquire companies and 50% capital. I would assume based on some input by founders and some by limited partners. 
and on a deal-by-deal basis without going into exact parameters and numbers. Is basically this how things are structured? Uh, it can be. You know, one of the, the things I'll point out, and this is one of the reasons we're so excited about being in the, the minority investment world. Uh, historically, there has been a broader capital markets approach to venture capital, private equity investing, and it has not uh, invested as heavily in diverse businesses. Um, and as a for instance, you know, 1% or so of venture capital dollars go to black owned businesses, less than 2% to women owned businesses. The vast majority of capital goes to uh, white male owned businesses. And that's just the way it's, it's always been. And no one's really wanted to talk about it. And uh, if you want to be successful in the industry, you just worked within that construct. What we saw happen more recently is a focus on some of these underserved areas that have not historically been invested in by what I would call the traditional capital markets. And what you're describing is more traditional. So it's, it's all the things that normally happen within that normal construct which I think is, is generally speaking-ish relatively correct. There's a lot of devil in the details, and each deal stands on its own. But if you're talking about a 2 and 20 structure, so 2% management fee, 20% carry, that's pretty market standard for investing in any type of private equity or venture capital type fund. If you're talking about the leverage that's applied to deals to purchase a company, you know, once again, you can call it 50%. You can call it, you know, some amount of, of, I'll call it responsible debt that is being brought in in conjunction with the equity dollars from the fund to buy a company. It could be around 50%. What we've seen, though, with our model is typically we're going to employ less debt and we're going to employ more time in building value in those businesses. So we have what we typically would term an activist strategy where we're actually going into these businesses and getting our hands dirty with a lot of operational um, and governance oversight, a lot more than you would typically see from a private equity firm. And we do that in collaboration with the operating um, uh, executives for those firms. So we're going to be working hand in hand with them to really develop probably a more sophisticated uh, strategy leveraging our access to network. Um, so we'll call it the, the broader uh, ecosystem of business individuals so that we can land new contracts, get better vendor relationships, establish strategic partnerships, whatever we need to do to build that business from there. So a lot of our growth over the last several years has been our team actually going in and partnering with business executives, working with them hand in hand to build value within those companies. And when you think about minority businesses in particular, which have historically been overlooked by the capital markets, having the ability to bring some of that sophistication and network capital to those businesses has allowed for exponential growth. Um, typically not being invested in by the capital markets, many of those companies have some of the scrappiest, most entrepreneurial, extremely intelligent, um, extremely capable individuals who just haven't been able to access the capital they need and the networks they need to really drive exponential growth and being able to do that for us has been a pleasure and has generated uh, outsized returns. Uh, our last fund returned to actually 9.3x MOIC, uh, which if you're familiar with private equity, that would be top decile type performance. So we're top 10% of private equity groups. And we've been uh, excited to be able to see that we can drive not only that type of return on capital, but also that we've been able to build generational wealth for many of our executives where our average for each of our platforms was to create no less than 10 million of net worth for the executives that we were backing.
So the focus is different than you look for earning money by selling companies in a certain duration of the asset sale or depending on the model, the two different models that you're looking at. Are you focused on distribution income from companies and longer duration of holds? What do you see as normal and how do you see that apply to what you're doing? Uh, so, so it's a good question. I, I, I think what we're seeing right now in the market is actually a, a modification of some of the normal. Uh, so, David, you know, uh, whenever we're, we're talking about family office stuff and talking about the different funds we're investing in and other things, you know, one of the things that I always find fascinating is the earlier vintage funds versus later vintage funds. And I think you see a stark disparity between the two. Later vintage funds, um, lower total return, um, but typically larger deals and more stability. The earlier stage, uh, call it emerging managers. Um, so first time, second time, maybe third time funds typically have a little more alpha associated with them, but they might have additional risks. Uh, maybe the team hasn't been together as long. Maybe they don't necessarily have the same amount of capital. Maybe they don't have the same network and staying power that some of these later stage brands would have built over time. So I think you've got a, a, a you've got to make a distinction between the two um, earlier stage and later stage vintage, and then of course their strategies. We do look at income type strategies from time to time if the business supports it, and we also look at uh, strategies where we'll be reinvesting heavily to build the equity value over time. And I think a blend of both is actually a very nice uh, addition to any portfolio. My understanding has also been that you have the new fund, but enterprise is continuing we're moving forward am i right is that correct kind of i'll i'll, I'll caveat so through enterprise we launched fulcrum so okay. it was uh, our enough. team at enterprise and then we brought in two new executive partners at enterprise the four of us are leading the new fund called fulcrum which is an initiative that we specifically named uh separate from enterprise because of the direct responsiveness to many of the atrocities from 2020. So we believe that Fulcrum is a very fitting title as we're the leverage point to provide access to capital and additional ability to scale for many of these minority businesses. And uh, we thought it was a very apt renaming given that this strategy is directly responsive and is the leverage point to enable so much opportunity. You know, at Enterprise, you're focused on the IT government contracts, parking, valet, solar, healthcare, and 10 to 75 million and two to 10 on at two to 20 on add-ons. And you're, you also had a, a company revenue criteria, 1500 million or two to 20 million on add-ons. And then, uh, you know, a million on, on earnings. The, the question is for you is that, are you pivoting in a way? Are you going after other stuff? that's in the minority spectrum, whether it be what you mentioned earlier on issues affecting, or for that matter, outreaching to sustainability and other growth areas. Is there a change for you in terms of focus with the minority uh, fund? A great question, David, because with the renaming, we, we actually talk about that fairly often. It's actually the same thing we've been doing. Um, it's just that for the first time, uh, that, that we've been investing, the capital markets actually really want to pay attention to this and allocate capital to minority businesses and accelerate capital allocation to minority fund managers. So um, for us, it's the same old, same old, same blocking and tackling, same relationships as we've built um, over the last several vintages. Uh, it, it's just a rebranding of actually the, uh, the cause. And 
the, the, the real difference in strategy, because uh, no one wants to hear about style drift. Um, so on the investment side, it's exactly the same thing. We're still doing government contracting. We're still doing healthcare. We're still doing uh, business services. We're, we're adding franchising, uh, more franchising. So we've done some franchising historically, but we're adding that as another piece. And that's more for the impact side, which I'm, I'm more than happy to get into. But that's the only kind of new addition. And with the new partners, the two new partners joining through Fulcrum, we actually have them coming in as the experts on that front. They both have done a, a fair bit of franchising investment work historically. And we've actually bolstered our uh, operating partner team and our advisory team to support that effort as well. So we don't see this as a, as a major style shift at all. It's the same thing we've been doing. Um, what we do see, which we're actually really excited about, is because we've been investing in the minority business world for as long as we have, uh, we're one of the few trusted groups when it comes down to talking to an executive at a minority business. Uh, when the executive asks, okay, big, big bad private equity, what have you ever done in the minority business space? What do you know about this type of business? What do you know about this industry and these nuances of certification? We're probably one of a handful of groups that has been dealing with this and are actually thought leaders on the subject um, over the last about decade now. And we've actually been involved in several of the uh, private sector initiatives around increasing supplier diversity spend, uh, working through many of the challenges of certification, working with many groups like NMSDC and U.S. Black Chamber on thinking about challenging issues so that we can make sure that we do have uh, an opportunity for many of these minority businesses to be successful and to scale. Um, and the big thing that we're looking at with a private equity strategy is scale. Um, and if you think about Black-owned businesses in particular, uh, before COVID, you had about 124,000 Black-owned businesses in this country that had employees. During COVID, so between February and April of 2020, you had a 41% decline in Black-owned business, 32% decline in Latinx businesses, et cetera, et cetera. So you got to the 17% decline in male white-owned businesses. Um, so it's a massive disparity. And what it highlighted was that minority businesses, underserved businesses, disadvantaged business enterprises, which are typically referred to as DBEs, did not have the scale to weather any type of adverse market event. So when we think about our strategy, and when we think about our conversations with many of these groups that focus on economic issues related to ethnic concerns, uh, what we're typically talking to them about is building additional scale, building real staying power, so that if there are additional black swan events, if there's other adverse market dynamics, that these companies are not going to have that large of a disparity as they did during 2020. 41% decline in black-owned versus 17% decline in white-owned should not be something that we're ever talking about. Um, we should be able to do better. How many companies overall do you have now in, let's say, the, the affiliated group? We understand the new group, that you've got a new fund and we see that growing. Can you give us just a ballpark picture of the amount of companies, the value, the revenue, and how many employees you're working with now? You mentioned the 9.3, but you're satisfied with the growth and where do you see things going in the future? So I'll start at the, the beginning a little bit. So we, we started up as like literally a two-person shop in a closet in a Regis office space Back in 2012, with myself and uh, the other founding partner of Enterprise, Harrison Perry, who founded Enterprise Partners, we had another transaction side called Enterprise Advisors at the time where we were doing a little bit of transaction advisory. But it was like basically the, the couple of us in a closet in a Regis space. So we, we ended up doing our first transaction the following year. We did a couple more after that. But we, we started literally with, with nothing uh, at the beginning. 
Uh, so it's been exciting to see the growth over time. Uh, so over the last, uh, you know, eight going on now, nine years, uh, we invested in uh, 23 transactions. So those include our tuck-ins. Uh, that was nine platform businesses. And uh, most of those have now been realized uh, as the fund came to, uh, to its, its uh, maturation. And uh, that created over 3,000 jobs uh, in many of these underserved areas, which is another one of our focal points um, is job creation. So we created over 3,000 jobs. We ended up creating that 10 million of average net worth for each of the portfolio executives that we were backing. And uh, we ended up creating several training programs. So education is another focus of ours, training programs in partnership with municipalities that actually created sustainable paths from returning citizen and at-risk youth to making six-figure type incomes. And those were in particular in the parking vertical and in infrastructure. Today, if we look at um, you know the height of our portfolio on the first vintage of deals that we were doing, I think our aggregate revenue put us at, uh, I want to say ninth largest black-owned businesses in the country or 11th largest or somewhere in that zone. Uh, so we had a fairly large operation, thousands of employees. Now, as we launch Fulcrum, we think that we'll probably accelerate that growth trajectory and hopefully hit the top five as we execute on this strategy. As far as drilling down, how do you manage your people process and strategy for this sustainable growth in order to accelerate? By all means, talk about some of your, your key partners, if you wish, Harrison, Steve Adler, other, you know, other key players that you've added as partners. How do you see the growth and how do you see being able to manage this? With any of these conversations that you're having, I assume most people are talking about their team and, and it's no different from, for us. We have a absolutely exceptional group of folks that we've been able to bring together. And, uh, you know, we had an interesting question asked of us in um, uh, one of these groups that I'm a part of, and our icebreaker question was, you know, what, what do you feel least qualified? What role in your life do you feel least qualified to do? So I found that question to be fascinating. And for me, it was, uh, my answer was leader, um, that anyone would, would follow direction of what we're doing when we've still got so much to learn um, is very humbling. And um, you know, we're thankful every day for the teams that have been able to, to be brought together and the trust that people put in us to actually lead these strategies and lead the direction of these firms as we continue to hopefully grow and add value, not just for the alpha side, but also as we're creating value in these communities where we, we base our businesses and hopefully become you know, part of that support structure. We're just ecstatic that that's all happened. And when it comes to processes and people and everything else, yeah, honestly, it's a great question. You know, we, we, we are trying to always do better. If anyone ever has great ideas or great advice, we encourage communication up and down the stack. We have a very flat infrastructure and hierarchy. We know everybody in our central offices. We try to get to know as many people in each of the companies as possible. And we're, we're an activist group. So we're actually hands-on. We go to the companies on a very regular basis and actually have conversations um, and look to improve processes and look for um, that engagement. Uh, we also are very active with our advisors. So you mentioned uh, Steve Adler. He's the chairman of Enterprise. You know, Steve brings deals. He brings capital relationships. He manages a lot of uh, things that come up. And he has his own fascinating story where he built the second largest chain of big and tall men's stores in the country. Uh, so talk about franchising and otherwise. And was able to successfully exit that and has been, um, actually, I believe this is the second chairmanship with a private equity firm. But he's been a, a staple in the Maryland community um, as both a philanthropist and a business leader. Uh, for decades, uh, just a phenomenal individual. And uh, every once in a while, you just kind of got to sit back and take stock and be like, how do we get from, 
you know, that little closet in a Regis to this. Um, and it's just a really humbling experience. So uh, we, we do the best we can. We're, we're grateful for all the contributions and we try to make sure that everybody understands they're appreciated and valued um, in, our, in our enterprises and that they are heard. Uh, we do want as many ideas as possible. And uh, it's one of the things that I've enjoyed also, David, about our relationship whenever we're talking about ideas and otherwise. Uh, we try to listen about twice as much as we speak and uh, hear whatever we can and learn and grow from all the experiences of others. That sounds great. All right, Ben, we have to stop right here. But coming up next in the second part of my conversation with Ben Carson Jr., the co-founder and partner of Fulcrum Funds, Ben talks about the drive behind his coordinated efforts of time, talent, and money, as well as the family's future focus on civic and political pursuits. On the business side or with anything else, it's your duty to give back and to share um, with the rest of society. Um, we've been very active in our philanthropy and very active in making sure that that philanthropy is directed towards our core causes to make sure that uh, we can do our part to make the world a better place. To connect with David, go to davidradlow.com. David's book, Principles of Cartel Disruption, Accelerate and Maximize Performance, is now available wherever books are sold. This has been Sustainable Leadership and Disruptive Growth with David Radlow, a presentation of Forbes Books.